There's never a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports, whether it's on the gridiron. For the end zone, it's Jefferson who's got the touchdown. On the court. Edwards thinking three and popping a three. On the ice. It's Caprice up with an open net. Or on the diamond. Buxton hammers that to left field. Another Minnesota home run. Whether it's positive. I think this is a good enough roster to make the playoffs. Or negative. He's terrible. Awful. Don't get it. Don't understand it. Whether there's optimism. Hey, they might be able to even make it to a conference final. Or pessimism. Don't expect me to be super excited. I mean, I don't know. Does this really do much for anybody? There's always something to chat about. Shout out to Minnesota Sports Chat. Keep on being elite. If you're looking for fun, informative, discussion on all things Minnesota sports, you've come to the right place. This is Minnesota Sports Chat, and now, here's your host, Ross Brendel. Yes, indeed, here I am, edition number 118 of the soon-to-be award-winning, award-winning, if only in my own mind, Minnesota Sports Chat, the Gophers guru himself, Mr. Daniel House in just moments but first those shameless plugs to throw out first and foremost the rest of this week we record this on wednesday july the 6th thursday friday next monday you can hear these melodious tones on my talk 107 for all of my non-sports takes and pop culture takes 6 a.m to 9 a.m on my talk 107.1 in the twin cities also at my talk 1071.com or on their free mobile app. Actually, I shouldn't say that. The last few days, there has been a tiny bit of sports talk as well. So make sure, wake up with me, 6 to 9 a.m., Thursday, Friday, and the following Monday. Those would be the 7th, 8th, and I think we'll go with the 11th. If you're listening to this podcast on the Score North Taxi Squad feed, I encourage you to find Minnesota Sports Chat wherever it is that you get your podcasts, And if you're so inclined, please make sure to rate and review, and please do so kindly. That would be much appreciated. Returning guest and leader in appearances. I have not made an official tally, but I do believe that proclamation is correct. Mr. Daniel House joins the conversation. Daniel, always good to see and hear you. Nice to see you, Ross. It's it's the lull now. It, I, I'm sitting here studying things over and over again. I'm just ready for, for football now. Did you watch any of the USFL championship? I did. I enjoyed it. I thought the, the game was exciting. There was a lot of action. And then the dramatic, I was like, Case Cookus had to get hurt. I wanted him to win it all because, you know, Reef Hassan, that's his guy, Case Cookus. That's his brand. We needed that badly in this market. You know, for somebody who mocked and ridiculed the USFL, that that would be me. And I think to a degree, I don't think you mocked and ridiculed it, but I think we both kind of had a similar opinion that it's not super great football. Well, I will say I ended up watching pretty much all of the fourth quarter. And just like you, I found it to be entertaining. It was it was pretty good football. I think you saw a lot of what you might expect to see in that league. You saw yeah. some flashes of brilliance from the quarterbacks. And then you all, I mean, literally, we saw four different quarterbacks in the second half of that game. I think actually in the fourth quarter, every one of them threw passes that just can't be made in the NFL. 
But, I mean, you also saw enough as to why a lot of them have had interest from the NFL at times because there was some flashes in there. And I, I found the game fun and entertaining. I think it's you know, shocker the team that never had to play a true road game, Birmingham, they hosted every game. When they were the road team, they were still in their stadium. They would have the best record and win the championship. I'm downright shocked by that, Daniel House. Knock me over with a feather. Home field advantage study. USFL (laughs) one season sample size. The value of home field advantage. No, I thought from a football perspective, there was a lot of creative things like designs and scheme stuff that people who didn't watch it, like coaches, they could honestly take some of it and use it. Like the two-point plays, there was a ton of creativity there. Uh, Fourth and short play calls, things like that. I actually was impressed. Here's one for you in the USFL, and I promise you this won't be USFL talk the entire time. But you can attempt a traditional onside kick. At least this year was how they set it up. A traditional onside kick. Or you can just have a fourth and 12 and basically take it or make it. I don't mind that being an option. First off, I would say, why would anybody choose an onside kick if you can just try it for fourth and 12, basically? Absolutely. I would say this, though, House, even in the USFL or the CFL, and then let's project and say the NFL will take this because I do believe eventually they will. They just need to figure out the yardage. I feel like, for me, the conversation starts at fourth and 17 or even fourth and 15. I think... You get somebody like a like a Patrick Mahomes, heck, even our guy Kirk Cousins, you give Kirk enough time and you get receivers down the field, that fourth and 12 is going to be converted, I think, yeah. probably more than you want it to be. Like, you do want it to be makeable, but you don't want it to be so easy that you're penalizing a team for having a lead late. I think it's got to be 15 yards or more. I, I would say that would probably be the case in the NFL just because of the elevation and talent. Uh, I, I just don't think it will ever reach that point in the league where they potentially adopt that because of that skill level. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. There there will be some innovation coming through the NFL. And I, I, I noticed how the USFL tied into the Pro Football Hall of Fame a bit with the playoffs being played there. You can kind of feel like this is starting to potentially they, they looked at the season and went, OK, made it through. There were some flashes. Maybe this kind of becomes a developmental league for the NFL very soon. And I believe I saw them show in the fourth quarter. Is there a, a, a small part of USFL stuff already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton? I think they had a, so. had a little display. So, yeah, I'm a big CFL guy. As you know, I'm actually going to go watch a Blue Bombers game in Winnipeg next month, and I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if this will end up meaning the end for the CFL at some point, but I would say this league appears to have a bit more staying power than I thought it would, and I know it's already coming back for season number two. And I believe the other seven teams that aren't Birmingham, I do believe they're actually going to their markets next year. I well, believe that's how you grow. That's how you grow. If you do have the money and the ability to transfer or to <laughs> transfer. <laughs> and we're Travel. getting there. We're going to get there. Travel. It, it's a good thing because it grows the brands and, and gets some fans interested in it transferring conferences to begin the year 2024 will be UCLA and USC, the big 10, then big 10 slash 11, then big 10 slash 12. Now big 10 slash 14 beginning in 2024. 
with USC and UCLA. Who knows, House? Maybe it'll be 16 by that point. I know the Big 12 is now trying to purge the rest of the Pac-12 up to six teams. They're trying to pull. Who knows if the Big 10 is still talking to other teams. So I'll look at this a couple different ways. Overall, House, I, I to a degree, I'm a traditionalist. I I don't love this. I liked it when it was the Big Ten slash 11, and that's because I grew up. I grew up with that. I know my, my father would tell you he just prefers the Big Ten. But, you know, whatever. It worked with Penn State. I had no problem with it. You know, then you add Maryland and Rutgers. That never made any sense to me, but I understood it from the Penn State portion, right? You're trying to put more people out, more teams out by Penn State and the TV market. Okay, don't love it, but I was kind of starting to get used to it. Again, USC, UCLA, don't love it for a couple of reasons. What does it do for the Rose Bowl? Insert joke here, on the bright side, the Gophers will finally head back to the Rose Bowl. It just might not be at the date and time they want it to be. Could be in October or November when they travel to UCLA at some point. And then it's just, to me, there's no natural rivals. Are you going to ask USC to play many 11 a.m. road games? I would say probably not. I know the last time they came to what was then TCF Bank Stadium, they did, and I believe Cal even played an 11 a.m. game here. So I'm saying it happens, but that's when they weren't members of the conference. Are you really going to ask them to play three, four, five games a year at 11 a.m. Central Time? I don't know. So I don't love those things, but I do know I will submit to you, okay? I can tell you I don't love those things, but I understand why it's good for the Big Ten, and I understand why the Big Ten's doing it. I understand why UCLA and USC are doing it because it sounds like projections show they will each get roughly $40 million more a year over the next 10 years by leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten because of the TV deal and membership deals. So I'm okay with it. I don't outright hate it. It just takes a lot of getting used to. And I would prefer if we could go back in the time machine The Big Ten actually kind of started this along with the Pac-12, or maybe it was the, yeah, I guess Pac-12. When when you went and grabbed Rutgers and Maryland first, you had then other conferences started shifting. Then you then you got Missouri leaving. You got Utah winding up in the Pac-12. You had you had things like that going on. So it's it's happening. I understand that. I just wish we could regionalize it a bit more. Instead of Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, to me it makes more natural sense that they would be in the Big Ten. Instead of Missouri being in the SEC, it makes more sense that they would be in the Big Ten. One team that I think eventually will win from this long-term, Daniel House, the Cincinnati Bearcats. They've been a pretty good program for a long time now, going back to the Brian Kelly years, and now, of course, what Luke Fickle's been able to accomplish at some point, Cincinnati's going to wind up in a pretty good conference, which should give them a seat at the table. So a long way around the block for me to say, I don't love it, but I understand it, and I can get used to it. And it, it will be fun to play those teams with more regularity, but, but House, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think Minnesota's going to play UCLA and USC a lot. They'll play them, but I think it's going to kind of be how Minnesota plays Michigan right now and maybe even with a little more gaps in between just because the conference is getting bigger and they're not going to play many more games.
and that piggybacks right off of what I've heard from people that I've spoken with in college football, like college coaches, and they all kind of echo the the same thing that you were alluding to. What do the logistics of this look like? How do you handle kickoff times? Travel for teams that have to change a time zone. I know the time zone concern is something that a lot of the coaches in the Big Ten and just, you know, outsiders have discussed. How do you handle travel? What do you do with like Rutgers and Maryland being like 2,600 miles away from LA and you got to haul equipment, you got to get your equipment truck on the road even earlier to get them there because, you know, that's how you're going to transport things. Uh, there's just so many challenges that will have to be figured out just on the football side. But, you know, like basketball, for example, you probably have Maryland go out there and play UCLA and USC while all in one trip. Um, but I also think that like if this thing expands a little bit more, the Big Ten probably would like to get a couple other teams out in that West region to help with scheduling a bit. However, that might not be the case. There, there's a lot of movement. You know, the, the Big Ten is, is probably in talks with Notre Dame right now. And Notre Dame might say, hey, I don't want to do it right now. And if they do, how does that impact the strategy of like the Pac-12 now? These schools potentially being interested in joining the Big Ten. Do you take two Pac-12 teams, maybe like a Stanford, Oregon, Washington, wait it out, hopefully get Notre Dame down the road? Or do you just keep it like it is right now, go with what you have and expand later? I'm not so certain Notre Dame is is going to be joining the Big Ten. I, I just I don't know if they can really pull off the exit fees and all the things that they have to do to get out of that deal. I mean, it'll be covered by the revenue split that they'll get, but there are a lot of moving pieces and maybe they'll play a little hardball. They'll say, we don't want to come to, to sweeten the pot a little bit. And then the big 10 will cave and bring him in. I don't know. I think you're looking at two numbers here house. I think the two numbers are the big 10 is either eventually going to get to 16 and 20. And here's why I say that. At 16, you can basically have four pods of four, and maybe you then have four crossover games. Maybe you play one or two from the other division. Then at the end of the year, you have two winners from each pod play each other. That's your semifinals. Then you get your Big Ten champion in a championship game. You can make it work that way. It's a little wonky. But if you get to 20, then you kind of treat it like old school baseball. It's a round robin. You have two divisions of 10 or two conferences of 10 however you want to say that round robin team with the best record tiebreakers wins takes on the other team for the big 10 championship and this is not just a big 10 thing i think the sec is trying to figure this out whatever is going to become of the pac-12 or the big 12 they're all trying to figure out what this looks like Mm -hmm. okay then i lay out the 16 and the 20 numbers for the big 10 the next step of this i think at some point cooler heads are going to prevail and the ncaa is going to figure it out how to make everybody happy and keep everybody together. But there is a possibility of these eventual three super conferences saying, okay, peace out. The rest of the schools like the Miami of Ohio's and the Akron's, you can still do what you want, but we're just going to go do our own thing. I think that that possibility, I, I think I, I, I don't think I think it's as much of a possibility as others do, but I still wouldn't be shocked if it happens. The TV networks play a big role in this process. They're putting forth their evaluations of all these programs, what they add to the TV package, 
and the Big Ten and other conferences are listening to that because they know the, the revenue split will get even higher. Can you imagine what the TV deal will look like? I mean, they were talking $1.1 billion range before USC and UCLA were added. And I mean, Kevin Warren's in London, finds out the paperwork's turned in. He's like, we are getting on this because you don't want USC and UCLA to potentially, you know, say, hey, we're just going to go to the SEC. Forget it. You're jumping at this opportunity. They knew they wanted to do this. This this has been discussed, you know, behind the scenes for a little bit a little while. And it's amazing, you know, you hear about, you know, UCLA and USC not really talking about this and just kind of finding out in the, the ninth inning that, hey, we're both going to do this. Uh, I don't I don't know if I buy that, but. Uh, there are a lot of political, you know, things going on here where it's like, you know, all these conferences have their motives and long term you see, OK, the TV networks are dreaming of the idea that you can have two power conferences, potentially like an AFC and an NFC, Big Ten SEC. And then that ties into a playoff that could be independent from the NCAA eventually. Can I tell you? That could happen. And and can I tell you, it easily could happen. And, I, again, I don't know if I love it, but you can't stop the train when it's already moving down the tracks. At best, at this point, we can just divert yeah. it somewhere else. Do you know what I love about this? And I, I saw somebody with a tweet house, and I wish I would have pulled it up. I should have to give them proper credit. But the UCLA hockey account, they have a club hockey team. Did you see this tweet at all? No, I didn't see it, no. They tweeted the Big Ten, and it said something like, Big Ten hockey after dark has a nice ring to it. And (laughs) somebody retweeted that and said, oh, my goodness, we're going to get UCLA Big Ten hockey before we get Illinois Big Ten hockey, which uh, sounds incredibly wild, but it, it seems, look, everything's done by intention, House. The UCLA UCLA wouldn't tweet that if they weren't at least thinking about it. And if you can play can you hockey, those, can you imagine those hockey sweaters? They're be- have you seen them? Oh yeah. I oh, know. They're, they're beautiful. Oh man, that's the thing. the The Big Ten just upgraded its jersey. Yes, game. it upgraded its fight song game. It upgraded its stadium game, like the brand game, like everything in that side of it is cool. And also the, the football side of it, you got Lincoln Riley coming into the big 10. Yes. How do they adjust their playing style? You know, the air raid system. I wrote about this on uh Gophers guru, just talking about, you know, how do these schemes, how they fit into the big 10, you know, USC and UCLA coming up in November, you know, are they really going to schedule that? I'm sure they will for intrigue where, you know, one of those teams has to come up and play a cold weather game, smash mouth football and you know they have some time to prepare for this they have a couple of recruiting classes that they can kind of structure to get ready with the idea they're going to the big 10 that's what i'm fascinated to see how do they change their personnel acquisition techniques to kind of get ready for what to expect in the big 10 because that will be a huge jump i i I believe the defensive side of it will be the bigger deal because you know, you look at like Alex Grinch, for example, the DC for USC, it runs a real multiple defense with a lot of movement with the D line. And, you know, in the big 10, you're not looking as much with those athletic moving around, you know, smaller D linemen. you need those powerful physical defensive linemen that can control the line of scrimmage. So how does that change their approach? We're about to find out, but I, I love the academic prestige side of it too. People don't talk enough about that. That was a big factor here. The big 10 wasn't going to add schools that didn't align with that. I mean, two top 30 
institutions in USC and UCLA. And that's why I think Stanford could be in the mix as a potential addition too, just from the academic side of it, the prestige in that area. Uh, I, I, I would say that they want to get some West teams in here if possible, just from the scheduling side of it, but they won't force it. You know, they aren't going to just add anybody to add anybody. House, this is a question I struggle with what my answer is. Everybody loves to come out and say this is great for the Big Ten. And I I know one of the reasons why it's great, nobody's really saying it, but one of the reasons why it's great is the added money for everybody. And listening to other outlets, is this good for the Gophers? Universally, pretty much everybody says, yeah, I think it is good for the Gophers. I think it's good for the University of Minnesota when it comes to money. How it plays out, especially, and I think in terms of football, how it plays out on the football field, I don't know if it's good for the University of Minnesota because now you're putting in for sure one team that is historically and recently a lot better than the University of Minnesota. And then you're putting in another, they've been down, but another, if you say UCLA, people think UCLA basketball and football. People know what it is, and they still have a great recruiting base. I I don't know if ultimately it's good for the University of Minnesota. And again, thinking football-wise, but there are some reasons to lay out why it might be good. Again, so if you're somebody like P.J. Flack, okay, let's say it's next year. UCLA gets rid of Chip Kelly. Well, why would I leave Minnesota to go to go to UCLA just to stay in the same conference, right? So I think there's I think there's reasons where it can be good for Minnesota. I just don't know if football-wise if it's good because now it's also two more juggernauts, at least one, that you're going up against in recruiting, and we'll get to recruiting here shortly. So I, I don't know. I really struggle with that house. I, I lean that it's not all that great for the University of Minnesota, especially, you know, when we were tipped off. We should have known something was up when weeks back all the future Big Ten schedules were stricken from the record. I mean, now what does this look like for scheduling? Is the Gophers schedule going to get more difficult? Yeah, no. I, I don't know. I can't really answer those questions. I just – my gut tells me that this is not great for gopher football. And that's the question that I think a lot of people in the Big Ten are wondering, what will that schedule look like? How will my program have to adjust to, you know, time zones, going coast to coast? Who do I play the previous week? Will I have a bye after I go out west? Like they're, the scheduling department for the Big Ten will be very busy to, to navigate this especially if it remains the way it is right now, where you have two teams out West and then everybody else, you know, in a different spot, you know, long, pretty long ways away, especially those East coast teams. So there are a lot of variables at play, but I would say from the Minnesota football perspective, the money that this will bring in helps substantially because you can expand your staff. It's going to get to the point where, I think a lot of these programs are going to look like NFL staffs where you have scouting personnel, you have, you know, a lot more assistant coaches to help where coaches aren't, you know, solely focused on, you know, trying to build a game plan, recruit, go on the road, do all those things where you can have people once this assistant coach cap is lifted you'll be able to have like analysts and other coaches go out on the road recruiting, which takes some pressure off, you know, the position coaches and delegate some responsibilities off so that you can be more efficient as a program. So 
Minnesota definitely will benefit from that because, you know, it's all about keeping up with change. You got to innovate. You got to grow, especially as programs like this come in college football landscape changes. If you want to be competitive, you have to get every edge possible. So this could be a really, really big thing for staffs moving forward, especially at schools like Minnesota that maybe don't have as many of those resources right now. House, what do we think in the NFL or maybe college football? Oftentimes it's assigned to another assistant or maybe a GA, a graduate assistant. What do we think a get-back coach can make? I would love to be the guy who just gets everybody back behind the line so you don't get a sideline warning or a penalty. Do you think now at like USC, could I clear a hundred grand as a get back coach? I I I don't know. The the strength coach generally handles that. So that that's that's generally how it's it's split up now. But I could see like more of the like analyst positions where you have front office executives or older coaches that were in the NFL that just wanna sit and focus on scheme and focus on, you know, research and that type of thing. Those are the roles that will, you know, become more prevalent and like football research, innovation, all those things. You, you have more resources to grow and the teams that get out on the front of it with the cutting edge mindset, they will put themselves in a better position as, you know, college football really navigates change. I want to spend a quick moment on gopher football recruiting. We all know plenty of different recruiting sites you can visit. I always use rivals just because I'm a creature of habit. I know there's some other really good ones out there right now. Rival says the university of golden gopher football recruiting class for 2023 is 21st in the country and sixth in the Big Ten, and you say, well, sixth isn't that great. Traditionally, it's not even that high. Right now, they rank behind Purdue, Iowa, Northwestern, believe it or not, Penn State, and Ohio State. It's still early, but what we always talk about, House, I don't put much stock into the recruiting class. I just know that generally, the higher it is, you have a greater potential to swing and hit home runs And it also cancels out those misses because, again, at the end of the day, you're recruiting 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. Overall, especially the last week or two, things have been really good for P.J. Fleck and his recruiting. They're coming up roses is how I would describe it. Yeah, the recruiting class is getting a lot of in-state players with upside, too. Like Jerome Williams has only played one full season of football, so there's a lot of untapped potential there. An offensive lineman who you know, can play guard or center, you know, they, they can kind of look at the developmental path as he gets into the program and becomes more technically and physically refined. So, you know, players like him and Reese Tripp, who's a physical offensive lineman from Castle. Great name. Great name. Great. It's a big 10 lineman name. Greg Johnson at Prior Lake. I watched him at a camp and I thought he, he looks so impressive. Quick feet, length, ability to, you know, mirror rushers and uh, just kind of really shows you that like there's potential in his game and upside that uh, you know you just get him in the system and get him in the strength program and you can kind of uh, tap into that potential so you know you look at the the core of linemen that they were able to bring in that's been a major emphasis and Derek Mister another high upside offensive lineman from Indiana that I felt like was under recruited that that could turn into something and I also really like Kerry Brown in this class, uh, safety from Florida, 
You look at the testing metrics, gives you a lot of comps like a Nick Cross at Maryland, rangy, instinctive safety that's pretty versatile. So I'm, I'm jacked. I'm ready to go. I, I like I like some of the high upside players in this class, Ross, where like you can get them into the program, grow them up. And now you have that flexibility because you have more competitive depth on the roster. You can kind of wait for those players to develop up. Throwback right there to all of you Score North Gophers show diehards with that Score North Gophers show music right there. I want to continue to talk sports with House. I actually have a basketball talker for him. And then, and then we'll do five filler questions. But before I do that, I need to remind everybody about my friends at Beans Coffee Company. People always ask me, how can I support the pods? And I always tell them, there's really three different ways. You can, you can rate and review, which I love. Again, just Apple, Spotify. You can tell your friends and family, and you can support anybody who supports me. One of them is Beans Coffee Company. They know we're all busy. Busy people, you occasionally forget things. Beans Coffee Company, they're about more than just providing fresh, great-tasting coffee. Beans is also about simplicity, too, and convenience. What could be easier than fresh, roasted coffee showing up on your doorstep without even having to remember to even place an order or that last-minute run to go pick some up? That's just the worst. Head to coffeebybeans.com. That's coffeebybeans.com. You can order individual bags, or you can sign up for a coffee subscription. Subscriptions can be set for up to one- to eight-week intervals. They can be customized by blend as well. Subscribers, you'll have the option of 12-ounce or even a 5-pound bulk bag. That's what I get. I get the huge bags of coffee. I always joke and tell people when they draw blood when I go to the Red Cross, it comes out looking like coffee and Diet Coke. (laughs) Don't forget to use the promo code SPORTSCHAT when you sign up to save 10%. Beans Coffee Company, they ship anywhere in the U.S. with free shipping on all orders of three bags or more. That is coffeebybeans.com. Promo code SPORTSCHAT. Again, coffeebybeans.com. Daniel House, big, 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 and I don't even say that facetiously, big franchise-defining, changing, watershed moment for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, we're recording on Wednesday, July 6th. I believe we'll officially hear about the exact parameters of this trade that the Minnesota Timberwolves made for Rudy Gobert, but here's what we believe it to be, okay, Daniel? Here's what we believe it to be. I'm guessing it's going to change mildly, and maybe there's even a third team that got involved. But what we believe it to be, okay, the Wolves get Rudy Gobert, perhaps the best defender in the NBA. That's what the Wolves get. Okay, Mm -hmm. here's what Utah gets. Five players, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmero, Walker Kessler, who they just drafted, and Jared Vanderbilt. I always want to throw Kessler Jr. in there for some reason. Walker Kessler, they just drafted. They parade him out for his presser. He talks about how it's basically divine intervention that he winds up in Minnesota because his grandpa grew up in Redwood Falls and he's going to get to the childhood home of his dad. Well, I hope he did it because he's no longer a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's been traded twice already. Guy hasn't even made to camp. He's been traded twice already. Also, with those five players, 2023 first-round pick, a 2025 first-round pick, a pick swap in 2026, a 2027 first-round pick, and a 2029 first-round pick 
that is protected. I believe it's top five protected. Daniel, so here are my thoughts on this trade, and then I, I'm very happy to get yours. I, <laughs> you know, the next, uh, the players are the players, whatever. Walker Kessler could turn out to be something. Who knows? Time will tell. Malik Beasley, meh. Patrick Beverly's on the other side of the mountain, meh. You know, Leandro Balmero, it's new, or he's new-ish, played a bit last year. Who really knows? I think Jared Vanderbilt's an NBA player, but none of those guys are going to be superstars. Maybe Walker Kessler could be. The draft picks 2023-2025 doesn't bug me so much because you assume you're a playoff team. Where you really could be hurt is 26, 27, and 29. And I didn't love it at first. I still don't love it. I understand why they would do it. But I really think the value to Utah is those last three picks that I mentioned, especially if the Wolves are not a playoff team at that point. But overall, what if you're the Wolves, and this is where I talked myself back into liking it, Okay, what if Rudy Gobert shows up, tears an ACL right away, and misses an entire season? That would be something that would happen to Minnesota. But I'm just saying worst-case scenario. Okay, well, then you're just the same franchise you've always been outside of one year. And you're going in, what, your 33rd year, 34th year? Expansion year, in, or, yeah, first year in 1989. What are you really losing here? I mean, I rip on them all the time. They are the most irrelevant team in town. They're one of the most irrelevant teams in the NBA. We always tell the Minnesota Twins, go out, make a trade, make a trade, do something, be impactful. So I really can't rip the Wolves too much. I feel like you gave up a lot. You gave up a literal crap ton for one guy who is 30. So again, he, he yes, I mean, I'm sure he has a great medical program. I'm sure he has great health protocols, but he's mm-hmm. older. But if this pays off, with a trip, I'm not even saying a win. If this pays off with a trip to the NBA Finals, it's all worth it. But I think you have to get a Finals run or two for it to really be worth it. But I don't live in fear of all these first-round draft picks costing them a lot. If the 2023 first-round draft pick is the 25th overall pick and Utah picks a good player, hats off to them. I mean, that's that's doing your scouting. So... Again, long story short, classic Ross going all the way around the block. Don't love it, but I I endorse it, and I don't think they're losing much. I, ju- I just don't. Yeah, the, the thing people forget is the NBA first-round draft picks are not like the NFL where you give them up and they're, they're very valuable. Right. Well, there's a reason why they only have two rounds. Right. And you watch the draft and it's like the first five players picked are the real, you know, blue chip impact players that will that could change your franchise. So the Wolves have lived on that side of the coin for a long time. They're at the point now where their roster is good enough to be, you know, in that 20, 20 to 30 range in the, in the draft, you know, where you, you don't see as much talent there. So that's why I don't worry as much about all the picks they gave up. I would have been more devastated if Jaden McDaniels got traded. Same. It sounds like the pick compensation was upped because they said, we're not giving up McDaniels, but we'll give you a nice pick haul if you'd like. The the trade-off of that is, like I said, if you're picking in that, you know, your playoff team, you're not picking in a prime spot. So if Utah takes those picks and picks a good player, like you said, great job with the scouting department. You have the chance here to bring in, 
a player who can help you on the defensive end. That's one of the biggest things. You watch those playoff games, Ross, rebounding, rim protection. You know, they were leaky in those areas. I went and looked at the numbers. Every game where they allowed double-digit offensive boards in the Memphis series, they lost. Every game where they held teams under double-digit offensive boards, they won all those games. The play-in game, seven offensive boards allowed against the Clippers. They won that game. So bringing in Gobert gives you a three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, someone who can protect the rim. The idea of being able to, you know, play cat at the four, uh, that opens up some possibilities. But, you know, the NBA has become a spread-out, shoot-at-a-high-level league. Yep. And you're seeing a lot of smaller lineups. The Wolves had one of the smaller lineups in the NBA last year. So the Wolves are kind of cutting against the grain here a bit with two bigs. So Chris Finch will see how creative he can be schematically. They'll, they'll kind of be a mismatch in a sense for opposing teams that are kind of philosophically moving in a different direction. So, you know, also the other thing, Ross, is cats in foul trouble all the time. Yep. So, you know, the idea of having Gobert and cat gives you the flexibility that like maybe if one's in foul trouble, the other isn't hopefully. So you can kind of withstand some issues there. Well, on that foul trouble part, this is a concern I've heard by other people who are a lot smarter than I am in the NBA, but I'll echo their concern. Gobert could potentially help you get a lot more regular season wins, but because you talked about with the NBA spreading it out smaller lineups, there is the potential that this could actually really, I don't want to say backfire, but if you get out of the first round of the playoffs, Odds are every team that you're playing is a lot smaller and they're stretching the floor. And now you're going to ask Cat in a lot of pick and roll and isolation sit- situations to be guarding people that are quicker, smaller, and faster than he is. So that that part scares me a little bit. On the Jaden McDaniels thing, I do need to say this because I'd be a hypocrite talking about those late-round picks. I-, I do think they matter. And one of the reasons why they do matter, but this is where you give the old hat tip for good scouting. We just talked about the Wolves don't want to give up Jade McDaniels. That's why they gave it up in picks. Jade McDaniels was the 28th overall pick. So you can find players late in the first round. Heck, you can find great players in the second round. But to me, that's more of a scouting thing than actually having those picks. It's just smart scouting and good drafting and knowing and knowing what you're doing. Overall, I'm excited. It's the same thing. I hope the result's much better. But it's the same thing when they went, for lack of a better term, all in on Jimmy Butler. This team has been so lack of excitement that whenever you have things like this happen, you get excited. And I don't want to say last year wasn't exciting because it was. I think if Carl Anthony Towns just stays who he is and Ant continues to ascend and Jade McDaniels gets incrementally better, and Gobert stays healthy, and I'm assuming he will. That's a pretty good team right there, whether or not D'Angelo Russell's a part of the team when the season starts. Because I, I more than likely think he is, but that is one way to recoup some of the draft picks you just traded away. Is he worth look, Is he worth two first-round picks? He might be. He's worth at least one. Look at how Russell played in contract years before. That's been a trend where he's played his best in those yeah. situations where he's had to prove it. So maybe they feel like that's the best method to take. And, you know, the pick and roll game, you know, that pick and pop stuff with Gobert and the screens that he can set and the things you can do there, that might fit D'Angelo's skill set pretty well. And that might have played a role in the, the decision that they that they made. And who's to say, you know, you can't, if a good offer comes along and you want to recuperate some of those picks, like you said, 
Russell could potentially be moved. But like I, I feel like people are talking a lot about this trade, and they should be. But like the Wolves made a couple low key great moves with Kyle Anderson, a real versatile player who can help them this season. With you know Vando getting traded, they needed to add another player like that that can help. And then I look at like Bryn Forbes who shoots the ball at a really high level, Malik Beasley leaving, you know, bringing in a 41.5% three-point shooter on a really low-stakes contract. Yeah, That's was a great move. One and a half or 1.3 million? Yeah. That's nothing in the minimal, NBA. Minimal, which it, he can certainly help you out, which you had to get some shooting back, you know, what you dealt there. So I, I like taking a big swing. You got a new ownership group coming in. You got a fan base that's that felt like last year they got a taste of it. What's that next step? Hey, we thought all about rim protection and rebounding that whole playoffs series. Can they take that next step with Gobert? We're about to find out. I'm okay with taking chances and, and making big plays like this because they can pay off in, in a major way if you hit right. Another aspect to this, and then we'll we'll move on and close it out with five filler questions. Another aspect to this is that kind of super team angle that you kind of just alluded to with the uh, with the more inexpensive contracts. In two years, you'll have both Towns and Gobert making max money. So you're not going to have a ton of money, and eventually you're going to have to figure out how to pay. And Jaden's going to get some money. So there's two arguments here. I have heard recently, well, maybe the super team era is dying. I don't know about that. I think maybe it's just changing where instead of having three, you're only going to get two. But what's balanced. Correct. But what comes with that is you still need to identify guys who can not make a ton of money, NBA-wise, a ton of money to us, but NBA-wise, but also can Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert go to their buddies who are in their 30s that still have a lot left to offer but maybe our ring chasing and say, hey, you, I mean, instead of getting a two-year deal at $30 million total, would you take the mid-level for one year and $10 million and come play for us and try and win a championship? I think that's another angle to this. Do these guys have some sway to get some buddies here to help them make a championship run? Because, look, when you make a move like this, Daniel, it's to try and win a championship. The Wolves have kicked open the door and said, we're here to try and win a championship, which I think is awesome. But it's still probably going to take a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see who comes along for the ride. You brought up the great point there because Anthony Edwards is one of those players that you can use as a recruiting tool when you're trying to bring people in because his personality is playing style and ascending star. Everybody loves Ant and they know that as young as he is, the best is yet to come. And they know that if they come to Minnesota, being paired up with Ant is extremely attractive. And that's the future of the franchise. What will happen with Carl Anthony Towns, like you said, with the the money that will be coming up with, you know, max contracts and stuff like that? Will they shift their approach and go, okay, Ant is the the player that we're building around and we're going to go try to get another big fish here and land a haul for Cat down the road? I don't know. But people people should start thinking about that, like, how will this thing look when Ant has to get paid? Because decisions will need to be made down the road here because you know that the Wolves want to build this thing around him. The window to win with all three of those is realistically two or three years. It's exactly. it starts it starts right away. And again, especially Gobert, not old, but no spring chicken. I believe will this be his tenth year in the league this upcoming year? I he is believe- thirty. 
So that's going to be ninth or 10th. Not super, not super important. How about this? I'll give you, you look that up. I'll give you the cheap podcast open. It's time for five filler, 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 filler questions inspired by Score North's own Phil Mackey. Did you find the answer? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. So this will be nine? Yep. Okay. Five filler questions. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. What's the best book you've ever read? I like It's Your Ship. It's a book about leadership. Uh, U.S. Navy Captain Michael Abershoff, uh, just basically how he ran his ship, uh, made it one of the most efficient uh, ships in the Navy. Uh, one of my favorite books, hands down. Uh, is that semi-recent, older? It's an it's an older book. I, I mean, it's not like super old, but okay. it's, it's a really good read. I highly recommend it. I always like stuff like that. It's always good to learn traits and leadership traits from other people and not just people who say they're leaders people who have actually led so that that's pretty cool best place be the wisconsin department of tourism for me best place (laughs) to travel and visit in wisconsin i may have asked you this before but i i don't remember the answer you're putting me on the spot. Here. Like, yeah, of course I am. Ellsworth, Wisconsin. Go check out the cheese curds. You yeah. And Chippewa Falls, a couple of spots there. It's all about cheese. If I'm telling somebody to come to Wisconsin, I'm saying cheese and beers. Those are the two things that <laughs> you got to do. Door County Cherries. That's the other one. You could potentially go there. That's the first I've ever heard. Cherries is big in Door County. I've never heard that. Yeah, Door County Cherries. Huh. Yeah, that's a big deal. Well, you learn something every week on Minnesota Sports Chat. Best store-bought snack. Sorry, Mama House, because I know Mama House makes a great snack. But if you're if you're going through the store, what is it? I'm on a remember Nutty Nutty Bars or Nutter Butters, whatever they're called. Nutty Bars. They're what? Why am I blanking? Who? Oh, Sarah Lee, I think. Nutty Bars, peanut butter, love them. I'm I'm on that. I'm on that binge lately or pre-popped popcorn. I love that one. Here's here's mine. I love fresh strawberries. Like I can go pick strawberries. That's not a snack. It's too healthy. Here's what I'd say. A snack, true snack, chi-cheese tortilla chips. And they got to be chi-cheese. I don't know if I've ever had a chi-cheese tortilla chip. Go go get a chi-cheese tortilla chip. I'm telling you what. It is the best tortilla chip. I have tried a ton of them. Everybody goes for the, the you know, the Tostitos, you know, back to the old, you know, uh, BCS championship Tostitos. This one's know. for all the Tostitos. Exactly. Go get Chi-Chi's. They are the best. Make nachos with Chi-Chi's and you will be amazed at how good they are. Why don't you throw some aside? Because the Minnesota sports chat open is this Saturday in, um, wisconsin's heartland so make sure you have some of those chips set aside for me for that awful round in which i know you'll beat me by probably five to ten strokes favorite podcast not named minnesota sports chat Ooh, oh man that's a really good question honestly you know i listen to i listen to a lot of like different podcasts um hmm I really like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks podcast, just talking about football schemes, all that stuff. That, that's where I spend most of my time listening is just different people's perspectives on football. The The podcast that I listened to recently that I really liked is Mike Tomlin's podcast on the Pivot podcast. Amazing insight into his leadership style, how he coaches, his philosophy, uh, just 
I, I jump around, Ross. I, I don't listen to I'm not a like a consistent listener of one podcast. I go around and find things that interest me. For those not familiar, Mike Tomlin is the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers until probably at least twenty forty. So <laughs> I don't don't think Pittsburgh Steelers, they really don't like making changes at head coach. And once you've won a Super Bowl, I think you're 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 pretty good. The final question for you. And we'll circle back to Big Ten football. The next football coach to lose their job in the Big Ten will be? I'm going with Mike Loxley. Yeah, me too. Me too. I feel he has the biggest, like, he has the most to lose this season. Like he, They disappoint every year. Well, and you go back and look at his past coaching trends, this is kind of what has, you know, come about a lot on previous stops. However, I will give Mike a lot of credit because he's super into innovation and, you know, using advanced stats to shape their program. They do a great job of that. They were like one of the better teams in college football last year at yards after the catch. And they made a lot of really good strategic decisions, game planning. So I, I do like a lot of things about Mike, but he seems like the, the coach that's on the biggest hot team. Maybe it's Scott Frost. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Nebraska will probably keep him a little longer. I feel like if Nebraska just gets to a bowl game, he's probably safe. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I think he's out of a job. My hunch is that Loxley won't survive the year. That's that's why I went with him first. And if he does, it'll be he's fired in like week 10 and they let him stick around for the end of the year. Everything else is pretty secure. You know, yeah. When you, yep. when you go and look at it. I, I think about Jeff Brom maybe going to Louisville. If, if that job opens after this season, that's what I would watch, but not like a firing. House, what is at gophersguru.com right now that people need to pay attention to? Lots of offensive studies. I went through and looked at every offensive play since 2019 uh, for one study, looking at first down efficiency. You can go check that piece out. There are tons of different things where we look at trends in college football, what the Gophers have done, how they can improve offensively, defensively, recruiting stuff. Lots of content that has been out in the last month or so. And then now we'll start shifting the approach to get ready for the season. Podcasts like yours, just all sorts of things that Gopher fans can read that get you ready for, you know, a next gen approach to go for uh, football. And at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine, correct? At Daniel House NFL. You can read all my stuff there. Wonderful. You're the best. Make sure the spotted cow is cold. Make sure the pizza is pre-ordered and get that tea time booked. I'll see you on Saturday. We'll see you on Saturday. Lots of content opportunity. I'm sure the people want to see you just cut one right. As long as a golf ball doesn't hit somebody, I'll feel pretty good about my round. Thank you to Daniel House again on the Twitter machine at Daniel House NFL. And make sure you get to gophersguru.com. That will do it for the 118th edition of Minnesota Sports Chat. I'm Ross Brendel saying please rate and review kindly. And thank you so much for listening.